We're kind of in the middle of a series. We've been diving into this series called Set Apart. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into the scripture that is the series scripture so we can just talk about why we're calling the series uh, Set Apart and what we mean when we say that. All right. This is from Peter. We uh, looked at a couple verses here. Uh, this is in Peter, who's a disciple of Jesus. This is his first, uh, this is one of his letters to the church. He tells them, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. So he's talking about the way they live their lives, what they're doing with their lives. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Keep going. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways, right, of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. He's like, you had an old way of living before God. You know, don't slip back into those old ways. And he says, you must uh, you be, be holy, or you must now be holy, the words he's using, in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. This is maybe not the way you've heard the word holy used, but this is what Peter is saying. You must be holy, just as God is holy. And a matter of fact, he pulls this out. Uh, keep going. He pulls this out from an Old Testament scripture. The scriptures say, and he's pulling out from their Torah, he says, you must be holy because I am holy. What does that mean? Well, Holy, we usually use the word, you know, with angels and halos and glowing and perfect, you know, and sinless and kind of unattainable. We use the holy like that phrase, but that's not the way it was being used when Peter talked about it, nor was it the way it was being used in Deuteronomy. So um, here again in the second chapter in First Peter, he says, you are not like that, talking about the world they used, the life they used to live in the world. Um, you are his chosen people. King James Version says peculiar people. You are his holy people. You're, you've been called out. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's own possession. And he goes on to say, but as a result, or as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Why? Because again, he called you out. He called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. So the series is called Set Apart, but we are actually talking about that phrase, that word holiness, as it's used in Scripture, coming from the old Hebrew, right, the old Hebrew word that actually had a parallel meaning. Go ahead and put that slide up. Uh, it had a parallel meaning. It conveyed two kind of uh, same thoughts. It was separate from and set apart for, all right? So, I mean, this, this would be my goal. I mean, there's lots of stuff we're going to talk about in this series, but if you could walk away with a really a better understanding of what it means to be holy or to understand what holiness is as it's called out to us as followers of Christ, it would be those two phrases, separation from, set apart for. Let's just say those two things together, all right? Separation from, set apart for. Say it again. Separation from, set apart for. Separation from the life we used to live, separated from the way we used to think, separated from sin, set apart for God, for his purposes, for what he calls us to. This is not something, by the way, that comes naturally, right? This is not something that, that we just wake up in the morning like, yay, holiness, right? There's a great uh, quote from D.A. Carson that says, uh, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. This is his version of saying, you don't wake up and nobody just has this magnet that pulls them closer to the things of God. Matter of fact, we have the opposite. We have a magnet in our flesh that pulls us away. So if we're just going to drift, we're going to live unintentionally. We don't drift towards 
being set apart. Uh, last week, we talked a lot about moralism. We talked, I can't go back and kind of share with you some of those things, but you can go back and listen to it. We talked about what does it look like to be set apart in a world of falling and rising moralism, depending on where you stand morally, you know, will depend on whether you think it's falling or rising, right? Like that's, that's kind of the discussion we had uh, last week. Today, I want to hit on two things that I know seem right out of the gate a little bit weird, uh, but I want to tell you why I want to hit these, okay? In terms of our culture, the influence in our culture, and how it is we're called to be set apart. So the two things are this. Uh, I'm going to call it new atheism, but to be technically correct, it's like new, new atheism, okay? So I'll tell you about that, why that said that in a minute. But it's kind of like new, newish version of atheism. And the spiritual occult, okay? And just, that's a weird word, but I'll tell you what that means uh, in a minute, okay? Now, the, re- the trick with atheism is atheism's been around, like, forever, okay? People who just didn't believe that there was a God um, were atheists, okay? Now, you know, kind of pre-Christianity, most people were actually pretty spiritual. They, they believed in something. They didn't, they, even if it wasn't God, it was some sort of like mushroom God or earth God or clown God or something. You know what I'm saying? Like it was always something. They believed in some kind of like external thing. Um, but it wasn't until sort of like the, 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 the Middle Ages kind of thing where people got really enlightened and intellectual and began to think, yay, you know, it's all about us. There is no God. And the original sort of, uh, I would say, kind of OG atheists were very scientific and very much driven by the fact that it's all matter, it's all biology, we're just, we're just clumps of cells forming and moved and bumping into one another. That's it. Okay, there is no God. There's no spirit. Nothing. Um, now, the new atheists were the late 1990s, moving into this century... Um, the new atheism, okay, wanted to highlight and lean into the, the two things that I'm going to say is different. They wanted to highlight into what they, they called the spiritual sense, which was really just more intellectual. Okay, so they, they attributed the human spirit or the thing that they felt like had to do with this we call spirit. They were like, well, that's just because we're, we're, you know, enlightened and intellectual, and that's what that spirit actually means. But the bigger issue with the new atheists is that, versus the, the OG atheists, is that really they saw religion as a problem to be, to be eradicated. They saw religion and faith as a problem for people. Not, not a good thing. A very, very bad thing. Okay? Now this, you'll, you hear some of the names like um, you know, Christopher H- uh, Hitchens, Sam Harris, um, uh, what's the other one? Oh, Richard Dawkins. He's kind of an OG atheist, but... They used him, the book, The God Delusion, they used a lot in the New Atheism movement. Here's what Richard Dawkins actually said. In a case can be made that faith is one of the world's greatest evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. That's the way he views you and me. That's the way he views Christianity. That's the way he views all religion, all faiths. But he specifically, as he was talking to the Human Association, he was kind of narrowing in on the faith of Christians. He's like, that's a problem, a problem to be dealt with. And that's what we've seen kind of in the last couple decades has been this kind of new atheist movement. But what's currently in the UK and the States and the modern Western kind of post-modern world, we're seeing kind of a new, new atheism kind of on the rise, okay? And it's bringing about something 
extraordinarily difficult, especially when it comes to the way our current culture handles things, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Pew Research puts it this way. Okay, let me give you a quick uh, study. Pew Research found in 2021 that self-identified Christians made up about 63% of the U.S. population. That was actually down from about 75% uh, the decade before, okay? And that basically a third, or close to a third, about 30%, um, were considered non-religious. And so this is, these are people who consider no religion whatsoever, which would include agnostics and atheists as well. Now, those three, or sorry, these, that 30% can really be broken up into three categories, okay? It, it, the first is the ones you know. They're the campaigning nuns. That would be like the new atheists or the OG atheists or the campaigning nuns that see religion as a problem. I kind of call them the vocal um, the vocal minority, right? They're the loud vocal minority. Religion's a problem. Let's just bulldoze everything, bulldoze all the values, bulldoze, <laughs> bulldoze all faiths. Like, that's a problem, right? So that's the, 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 the campaigning nuns. But even in this subset, what's growing in sort of the nuns category are these new atheists. I call them Atheist 3.0, okay? Thir third iteration are what's considered the tolerant nuns. Meaning that they don't necessarily, I mean, all the authors and leaders still say religion's a problem, but they, they're, they're, they're quick to acknowledge why people might have faith, like intellectually, like, eh, I, I get why you might want to put your faith in a thing and in a, you know, a deity. But they're more tolerant, and there's a reason why, but they're more tolerant to people of faith. So that's a growing sect. I would call that the, the silent majority. And then you have this, this third category, which are called the spiritual nuns, all right? They're the spiritual ones. Now, now this is a cult influence, which we're going to talk about today, but this is the, these are the people that really kind of look at all spiritualism as kind of the same thing, and, and there are many roads lead to, you know, you can find any path you want and many, many spiritual, it's almost like they're open to any spiritual explanation possible except God. Everybody with me? Okay. It's kind of weird. Like, I'll, I will sooner believe, like, spirits of aliens are here than God as an explanation to paranormal, mystic, psychic, whatever the case is. So these are called the spiritual nuns, and they are also rising. Now, what, the, reason I, the reason I'm putting this together today is because those two groups are growing. They're growing in popularity. They're growing in... in um, influence in our culture is because so many other things, again, moralism we talked about last week, in our culture are kind of fueling this fire. It's kind of fueling it. So what we're seeing more than anything right now is a whole lot of this, indifference and impartiality. This rise of new, new atheism and the spiritual, so to so spiritual, spiritual nuns no affiliation, but kind of are open to pretty much anything spiritually. This is showing, this in the wake of this, is this real big, you know, kind of cultural sweep of just indifference. Not that religions are problem, they're just irrelevant. You know, like, religions aren't just something, they, they don't even need to be squashed out because they're nothing. They have zero influence in anything. That's where this indifference comes from impartiality again coming from the spiritual nuns meaning that 
well, it really doesn't matter. They're open to you know, whatever it may be. But the spiritual occult influence that's coming with that really is also posing a problem with the spirit of impartiality. So we're going to start with um, indifference. No conviction, no moral center. So even for the moralists, they, they struggle, right? No moral center, no conviction, no absolute truth of any kind, which is, again, our culture is feeding this with the expressive uh, radical individualism, is feeding this spirit of indifference, not even among just unbelievers or people who claim the none, but it is also finding its way into the church and finding its way into the margin of the people of faith. Because indifference, okay, indifference is safe. It doesn't set you apart to be canceled. It doesn't set you apart to be ridiculed or shamed or, or anything else. It, it's a safe path, and it's where we see a lot of these what we call deconversion stories happening. It's the people that just go, well, I used to think it mattered, and now I don't. Does that make sense? Like, that's, that's the draw. The fact that, 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 that it's become so much more kind of calm and cool, it's more palatable to the wider audience. And here's how Paul, not Paul, sorry, I'm rephrasing it in my notes. Um, this is how John, the disciple of Jesus, uh, he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos. And um, John, you know, it, during his time there, his imprisonment and his exile, he is given a revelation if you will, where God sort of splits the heavens open. Talk about spiritual realms. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But man, he, he gets exposed to like everything in terms of the heavenly realms. And he tries to write it down and give us some context to it. That's in the book of Revelation. But right at the very beginning, it actually started with Jesus saying, I want you to share this message with seven churches. There were seven letters and seven messages to seven churches. And this is to the church of Laodicea. He actually says this, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. And he says, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is actually a cultural and, and, and uh, very common reference for them. Where Laodicea was, their water source traveled many, 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 many miles to get to them. Okay, so it wasn't like they didn't have any fresh springs or hot springs or cold mountain springs like Spring Haven, you know, like it was not either one of those two, right? It was, it was like, you know, water that traveled, 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 traveled. And when it got to them, it was basically like, blah, right? And that's the, that was the water. So they had to do something with it in order to use it, in order for it to be of use. And so, you know, Jesus is writing the church that has this cultural, very cultural understanding of lukewarm water. And he's basically saying, well, that's you. You are actually this lukewarm water, and I will spit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot nor cold. I can't do anything with you. Then he says this. You say I am rich, and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. What you don't realize is you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments for me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And buy ointment, right? Oil, he says, for your eyes, so you'll be able 
to see. This is Jesus basically saying, you know, you think by the comforts of what you have, you're fine. And I'm advising you, you need to look for those things from me. And then he goes on, as the, correct, as the warning says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Be diligent is, you know, pay attention, be wise, be intentional. And turn from this spirit of indifference. This indifference that comes out of comfort. This indifference that comes out of, well, I have sort of all that I sort of need or kind of whatever really kind of desire, so I'm fine. We read this last week about the, the wine. Jesus was like, nobody seems to want the new wine for the new wine skins. They just say, well, the old's fine. It's fine. So, so for us, I really think this is the easiest one to address because, you know, God does not, God has a, opinions, if you will, about indifference. And he's like, this is kind of like this lukewarm thing. And he's not talking to lost people here. He's talking to the church. You are neither hot nor cold. You have lost your first love. You have lost the conviction that comes from me. And you're kind of putting value in everything that you sort of have around you. And what you don't realize is you have nothing. Everything you have around you is going to pass away. I want you to buy gold from me. I want you to seek the garments from me. I want you to find that healing from me. He says, if you really want to experience this. Because correction and discipline will come. So, so be diligent. Now, I personally think, this is a statement we've make, we make quite often, but I think this is all we need. I think, I, sh- I think this is all we should need to kind of fight and reject that spirit of indifference is that everyone, we believe, right, everyone spends eternity somewhere. That's it. This is an absolute truth of God's word. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. So we can't afford to be indifferent. We can't. We can't go to our Thanksgiving meal, you know, and just start making the excuses because Uncle John's going to be Uncle John, you know, and cousin so-and-so. I don't even know if she's going to be there. I hope not, you know. And just start thinking about all those things. And, and, and all you're kind of hitting with is just the temporary need of how do I get through this day? How do I get through that weekend with the least amount of problems? Guys, everybody spends eternity somewhere. And if you believe that absolute truth, then you have to fight the spirit of indifference that creeps into your heart. Because again, our culture is kind of promoting this. Like if you stand out on your own, if you really are separated from and set apart, you know what? At worst, you'll be canceled. But it's definitely going to be ridicule. It's definitely going to be a problem. You're definitely not going to be able to take the easiest path. You're definitely going to have problems at work. You're definitely going to struggle in your social circles. So being indifferent is just now the, the, the most common path to take. And it's not what we're called to do as followers of Christ. Now, the spirit of, of impartiality, which I, I'm telling you comes from this spiritual nuns. It comes from this occult influence in our culture. It's a little bit more to get into. So I want to give it a little bit more time than, than indifference, but... Uh, bottom line, we were, we, we were called to respond the same way. Now, spiritualism, just give me give you a few stats. Um, spiritualism, it's what we used to call the occult, okay, like when I was growing up, it was just called the occult. The occult, 
I know it sounds really like immediately like a cult or, you know, witchcraft and all these kind of things, which is true, but a cult really just means hidden and overtly secret and beyond the range of sort of human knowledge or, or beneath the surface, so to speak. That's what a cult, the word actually means. And our culture takes a lot of those things and, and uses it really in one of two ways. It markets it in one of two ways. One way, which we see most of the time, is it's for jump scares in horror movies, right? It's for the nun part seven. I don't know which one they're on, but, you know, like, it's for the next exorcist. It's for the next whatever. Like, they, they want to use these things as sort of fuel for uh, the, the horror, driving horror, that, that we can experience. Get to the edge to, but not actually experience anything personally from. And if it's not used as fuel for that, well, then it's kind of marketed as just, I don't know, just fun. Just something to play around with. Something, some sort of force or energy or aura to kind of just mess with. Innocent. You know, benign. Neutral. Amoral. That's not actually the way it's described in Scripture. So I'm going to really quickly do a quick, I can't do a deep, deep dive on spiritual warfare and things like that. We might do something like that next year. We haven't worked out next year's uh, series planning yet, but we, we've kind of talked about this idea of maybe doing a deep dive. If that's something you'd be interested in, just text us and let us know. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to give you this, this very quick roadmap or blueprint, if you will, that Paul gives the church in Ephesus. We're going to look at Paul's dealing with Ephesus a couple times today. But this is to the church in Ephesus. He says this, a final word, I want you to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on, the, put on all of God's armor, right? The NIV says the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Okay? There's a purpose to this. And then he goes on to say, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He, he, some versions say heavenly realms. And then he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be still, or you will still be standing firm. This is a quick blueprint. Paul gives us a, I mean, again, I can't go into all of it in terms of scripture, but he kind of gives us a quick in this passage of who's who and a what's what and a where's where of, of spiritual stuff, Okay. So, so here's, here's the bottom line. And again, I'm, I'm summarizing a lot for you today. Okay? There, there is another dimension. Okay? Like there, there is. That's what we see in Scripture. There, is, there are heavenly realms. This is what uh, uh, John is given as the, 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 the veil is torn between here and, and heavenly realms uh, in Revelation. We see it throughout Scripture. There's unseen places. There's rulers and principalities of the unseen world. Then, of course, there's this world. Right, this dark world. So there's a there's there's definitely an understanding of realms and dimensions, not the way science fiction uses it. Okay, we're not talking about a multiverse or anything like or a spider verse or whatever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this idea that there seems to be something beyond just what we can see, and that's that's what he's trying to get across. And there's activity in the unseen realms with creatures that God created. But he tells us throughout scripture, he only created these things. He created angels. And by the way, demons, he did, God didn't create demons, but 
demons are fallen angels who have rebelled against God. So, you know, they were all angels. So God created angels and us, but the third category comes up because there were those angels that rebelled, created beings that now we refer to as demons. But, but that's it. And the why or the what is that there's good and evil. It, it's, it seems to be, according to Scripture, one or the other. So we don't really get a whole lot of scriptural support for, you know, ghost hunters or ghostbusters or ghosted. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't, we don't have scriptural support for a whole lot of Aunt Susie didn't see the light. She's got some unfinished business. Like there, there's not anything there to support this. And even the few, and I say it, few times you might see an obscure story in scripture or an obscure reference to something in scripture. There is an Old Testament really cool reference where Saul, you know, the king tries to get a hold of the old prophet Samuel and uses a medium, right, to, like a psychic to do that. And, and the only reason that God allows it is to tell Saul how horribly wrong what he just did. Matter of fact, in that moment, God removes his, his favor from Saul. Like the fact that it was allowed only shows us again one more time that it's like this is not a part of God's plan. This is not how God wanted us to do this. Now, how do we see, how does most cultures see the spiritual realm? Well, this is a good example. This is from Barnes & Noble this year. Um, this was in the little section between the two doors. You know, when you walk in, it's called Divine Guidance, the World of Self-Transformation. Okay? And this was their section of Divine Guidance. All right, now you can't, might not be able to see all the titles, but I, I put it up on the list for you so you could see. Uh, there's some moon magic and herbal magic, love spells, goddess magic, earth magic, natural magic. I don't know what the difference is, but there were two different books. Witchcraft, and, and, and you see the modern language would be Wicca. Wicca is just rooted in the same word, but it's the modern language of witchcraft. There was a crystals kit. I guess to study and understand crystals and auras and things, superstition kit. And then there were a couple on, you know, there were tarot cards and tarot decks. I love the fact that they want the children involved, tarot book, coloring book for tarot cards. Um, whole family can get divinely inspired. Okay? That's, that's the way it's marketed kind of to this, to this world. And it really is, again, sort of seen as just a, a really benign thing. And when they want to go into, well, there might be good and evil, then they want to say, well, some of those things could all be good. We can use crystals for healing for good. We can use witchcraft for good. We can use spells for good. It doesn't have to be evil. Yet again, that's not necessarily what we see in Scripture. Now, I can't recommend a lot of books because there's not a lot of good books written on this, but I can recommend one that I love. It's an older book. C.S. Lewis, it's called The Screwtape Letters. Now, you have to be really intentional when you read this book because this book comes from a kind of a reverse psychology, if you will, of a very organized hell with sort of senior and lower management demons who are working with people, humans, they call them the patients, and they refer to God as the enemy. So you have to you got to have your head screwed on when you read this. Okay, I'm just, just letting you know ahead of time. Anyway, Screwtape is sort of the uncle, senior executive, if you will, in the 
in this, and Wormwood is the is the um, junior, the junior demon, and and he wants to know. He's writing his correspondence to Screwtape, and he wants to know if he could just reveal himself to the patient. He says, "Here's the response that we see. No, no. Our policy is to conceal ourselves. That's baseline." He's like, look, every demon knows this is demon 101. Our policy is to conceal ourselves. Matter of fact, he goes on, I'm going to summarize. It says, our goal is to lead the human to make small steps away from God, to begin to believe small lies as opposed to leading them into spectacular wickedness all at once, which he may all too easily then recognize evil and turn away from it. Then he goes on to say this. I'll put this quote up here. The only thing that matters is the extent to which we separate the man from the enemy. The enemy, of course, being, being God. It does not matter how small the sins are, providing that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without setting turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So just understand, again, I can't give you a lot of good things to read about this, but I can tell you that that is a phenomenal fiction book, fiction book that does a really good job of just painting the understanding of what the devil's schemes are in terms of maybe some way the spiritual realm sort of works. Now, let me just explain this to you why there's a problem. When it comes to spiritual things, you might have a different experience than me, and that's, I would love to hear it one day, but I tend to find Christians that land on one side of a coin or another, okay, one extreme or another. They either live in denial, all right, because they do not understand spiritual things. So they, they I mean, they kind of get the whole God thing, but as for anything else, oppression, possession, spiritual, rich craft, forces, deception, like they just, eh, I've never really seen that, and I don't really know how that works, and, and they just don't really give it a whole lot of anything. Their radar is kind of broken. Everybody with me? Then, for whatever reason, I seem to meet the people, who, the radar is supercharged, and they're getting all the channels. Y'all with me? Anybody with me? Anybody know these people? I mean, they're getting all the channels. They've told me some stories that I, I don't even know how to study whether that's true or not. And it seems like we have a very, very kind of big disparaging gap of people who have a healthy understanding of the spiritual warfare and of the spiritual realm, the way the scriptures actually talk about it. Okay, I'm not trying to point that one is wrong or the other, and I don't have the time, again, to go into a deep dive and pull you out of your ignorance. You know, if you don't think possession and oppression and those things are, exist, then wake up. Okay, I don't have time to pull you out of that. It's real. It's every, every bit of it is real. Okay? And, and again, I'm not calling the people crazy, but there are a lot of people who, with the radars up, you have, to, you have to dive into their maturity level before you really trust every single thing that they're saying. Does that make sense? You've got to dial into the spiritual maturity before you can really begin to process how they have necessarily been, been in tune with very good and or dark spiritual forces. All I know is what God's word tells us in terms of how to view it and see it. And I can promise you none of it is benign, neutral, and, and indifferent or impartial. Here's some of the scripture. Here's, this is a God talking to his people. 
Deuteronomy 18, he says, when you enter the land of the Lord your God is giving you, be careful not to imitate. Don't imitate the, dis- the t- detestable customs of the nations living there. Right? Don't, don't imitate what they're doing. For example, never, exa- never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. Don't let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft uh, or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or, or call for the spirits of the dead. God isn't saying that these things don't exist. God isn't basically saying that don't do these things. He's kind of just saying don't engage in all these things that are outside of the way God created them to be used. They are real, but they only have one purpose, and if it isn't for God and good, it's evil. So then he goes on to say, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And then it goes on in a couple of verses later that just basically says, look, you're replacing these people. The nations you're about to displace, consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. Why? Because it's outside of God's plan for our lives. And he, look, take it every single direction. Why would I go to a fortune teller? I, want, I go to a fortune teller so I can manipulate God and manipulate my own desire and purpose. For, for, for the future, or sorry, future, uh, uh, you know, fortune tellers and future seekers. Why do I need to follow the horoscope? Because I don't, I don't trust God's will for my life. Why do I need to do these things? This is all outside of God's plan, period. Now you go to Isaiah. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. I am the Lord, your Savior. I'm the one who created you, and I'm the Lord, the creator of all things. I alone stretched out the heavens when I made the earth. No one helped me, Right? So what does he say? He says, I make fools of fortune tellers and frustrate the predictors or the predictions of astrologers. The words of the wise I refute and show that their wisdom is foolishness. This is Isaiah walking through God's people like, look, you want to trust in the stars to tell you what you need to do? You're a fool. You want to go seek fortune tellers, try to get their prediction of your dream? You're an idiot. Like that's, that, is, that is not Isaiah's words. Those are God's words. Did you, did you, like, go read Job. Did you, were you there when I hung the stars? No. Right? Do you know what they mean? No. Okay? Well, don't go ask another idiot what they mean. Like, trust me. And, again, not benign. You you don't want to, it's not something to mess with either. Lightly. So let me, let me go take us to Acts 19. Again, this is Paul, this is Luke, sorry. Luke is recording the acts of the early church, the acts of the apostles. And he's following Paul on Paul's missionary journeys. And Acts 19 takes us right to when Paul is ministering to the people in Ephesus. Okay, so the same place we read uh, Ephesians 6, he's ministering to the people in Ephesus. So I'm going to start in verse 11. It says, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Okay? Now, that's probably not very smart. No one do this. I command you in the name of Jesus that Matt talked about, come out. And he says that Paul, uh, seven, seven sons of Siva, a leading priest, was doing this. But one time he tried it, and the evil spirit replied, Hey, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? 
Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled the house naked and battered. This story of what happened quickly or spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city in the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many whom became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. And the value of those books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and it had a powerful effect. I hope you're at least seeing the common thread. There, there is a very powerful, very real spiritual realm by which we are connected to because of the Holy Spirit and because of God. But there's only two purposes. One's of God, one's evil. One's good, one's evil. That's it. And, and if you ever need a quick, you know, I, again, I know I can't do the deep dive, but if you just need a quick, quick understanding, like people ask me questions like, well, what's the difference between, you know, C.S. Lewis's uh, Narnia magic and the magic in Harry Potter and so on and so on. And I, you know, those are great conversations to have when it comes to fiction and things. But let me just let me just give you the quickest test I know. OK, in terms of helping you see occult influence, the draw is simple. The occult influence in our society, in the paranormal, mystical, mysterious, supernatural, metaphysical, and psychic are all driven by the same human appeal. Power. Anything that's driven. Why? Because we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to have mastery of and mastery over. So anything that promises that, leans into that, or, or that's the goal of it, is driven by the occult influences. Like, that's just the way it is. Why? Because everything driven by the Spirit of God is about surrendering to the all-powerful. It's about surrendering our lives to a king and giving him lordship over it. Not surrendering to evil forces, which is really a slavery to evil, so that I have temporary ability to wield power. Two very different kinds of surrender. Surrendering our hearts and lives to God, the Almighty, is our call. Anything along those lines? Good. Anything along the lines of wielding mastery over powerful? Evil. Period. Easiest, quickest test you can take and make. Now go back really quickly to the being set apart. The indifference and, and uh, uh, impartiality that we're facing it really does require us to, to go back to the Word of God and remember some basic truths so that we will have what we need to set up, be set apart in this world. Here's what John, remember John, we talked about the Isle of Patmos. This is his letter to the church. He said, you belong to God. My dear children, you've already won a victory over these people. Why? Because the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, who lives in you is greater than the Spirit, lowercase Spirit, who lives in the world. Right? He goes on, these people belong to the world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint. The world listens to them. We belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. And if they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the Spirit, capital S, of truth. 
or the spirit of deception. Again, this is why, don't, you know, don't hear what I said earlier about Thanksgiving. Don't, don't take all this and load up your weapons, okay? The goal is not to beat people over the head or to arm yourself with just enough scripture to zing Uncle Bob, okay? Poor Uncle Bob, I've said him three times. Anyway, uh, like, it's not to zing them. It's not to win an online argument. It's like, that's not the purpose of this, right? Why? Because some people just, they're deceived. And there is a real spirit of deception in our world. We, and we had to pray, God, would you just uncover their eyes? I mean, the, when I'm talking to somebody and sharing faith, man, I'm, I'm praying before, after, and during, desperately. God, let them hear it. Let them hear it out of a spirit of love. Let them hear the truth. Not because I'm so convincing, not because I'm such a great person, or, a great, or I have the right words to say, but God, may your spirit that's greater than the spirit of deception win this conversation. So how do we get set apart? Well, we've got to go back to Ephesians 6. Okay, we're going to go back to Paul's blueprint, if you will. And notice some of the words that he said. Put on the God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. This is his way of saying set apart. You're going to stand firm, okay, with your convictions. You can't have a spirit of indifference here against the strategies of the devil, okay? We're going to skip the, 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 the roadmap or the blueprint and we're going to go back to, again, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then you will be standing firm. Keep going. Yeah, go to the next verse. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. You might have heard this as the breastplate, right? Like it's the, it's the truth that girds up and the, and the body armor of, of his righteousness. Shoes, we're putting on the peace that comes from the good news so that we'll be, be fully prepared. To be able to go out, share our faith. In addition to all these things, shield the, you know, there's a shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. That's our defensive mechanism to trust our faith in God, our trust in him. Put on the salvation of uh, salvation as your helmet and take the spirit or the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with you. Now, this is, uh, I gave this last year at our staff retreat. We're going on retreat this week, but uh, last year at the staff retreat, I bought all the staff these little mini daggers. They look like swords. Um, and it's because I can't afford to buy them all swords, or I would have got them all swords. Anyway, uh, I bought them these little, little like sword-looking daggers, you know, and 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 they're basically you know letter openers right now. But I, I wanted them to put it on their desk because as a staff, we had been praying through and talking about this coming year, and we were like our focus on the Word of God and just saying, okay, look, you know, there's a lot of things that that we're gonna that as a church we want to be set apart for. And if we're going to choose anything, it's going to be the one thing that God gave us as our offense. And that's his word. Not that, not that everything else isn't important. We're going to, you know, the, the truth is what binds his righteousness. We believe because of what the faith he gives us. You know, the salvation that we're given is because Jesus said, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. We can't be impartial about this. He's, there's the only path to God is through Jesus Christ. That's the helmet of salvation. That's the truth we cling to. And that is what we, again, share the good news. That's what our feet are, are, are shod with, to share the good news. But if we're talking about the thing that we can wield, <laughs> so to speak, the thing that we can use in this spiritual war, if we're going to be set apart by anything, we want it to be the Word of God. Because that's what He gave us to be set apart for. So I, I basically said our spiritual armor, it does equip us to be set apart. It equips us to do what he's called us 
to do. It equips us in a spirit, in a world, again, that's just so driven and, and rising, if you will, of the spirit of indifference that it doesn't really matter or a spirit of impartiality that it just, you know, whatever path you choose, if you're going to stand apart on anything, let it be what he says. Let it be his word. Not your word, not your, not your opinion, not your thoughts. His word, his word alone. It doesn't need anything extra. It doesn't need anything more. It's got everything it needs. And the power of the spirit within you, that's, that's the part that I love going back to John. The spirit within you is greater than that spirit of deception in the world. I hope you believe that. Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you so much for, again, I'm just thankful that you continue to allow your word to be all we need. And sure, in a world where being set apart, um, you know, there's a lot of fear sometimes that we will be ridiculed or rejected or canceled or social media muted or whatever the case is. God, I, I, and I don't see any of that changing anytime soon. God, for us, would you, would you open our eyes to the spiritual realm? Not so we could be fascinated or intrigued by the evil that does truly exist. But so that we could be overwhelmed with how much your spirit is greater. How much your spirit that lives in us wants to help us be set apart. Wants to help us live out that call to live our lives as holy chosen men and women. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.